0: Out, this song is one of my favourite anthems of the 80s. I've had a soft spot for it ever since and I have been known to belt it out once or twice at karaoke. It propelled Tiffany to fame at the tender age of 15 and led to her becoming an icon around the world. I'm Genevieve and I'm so excited the lady herself is joining me today so here to talk about her life after that thing she did including her new album Shadows, her cookery club and much more besides. Please welcome... Tiffany Tiffany hello happy new year well thank you happy new year how was your Christmas it was wonderful relaxing
1: great nice to be home for this one before we start uh all the things we're going to start this year so it's a big year for Tiffany Tunes and the Shadows album and uh Let's Food with Tiffany my cooking club and the cookbook coming out So, like, I'm racing now. (laughs) I am running just as fast as I can, literally now. So, you know, I've been resting a little bit for this very moment. So I'm excited now to uh, start the new year off right.
0: Cool. We'll hold all the thoughts and all the the cooking and the tours and everything else, because we'll be coming to those a little bit later. But um, are you a New Year's resolution type person?
1: I am. I definitely, yes. I've always been that way, actually.
0: And how are you at sticking with them, though?
1: (laughs) Uh, I usually, I do fulfill most of what I do. I used to over, like, you know, overdo it. Now I pick two or three things that I think are really obtainable. And most of those are like, spend more time with your family, you know, or make sure that you call people more, little improvements with yourself, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, because, yeah, I mean, life's a journey, right? You just got to keep trying to be better and better, Yeah, add things
0: and learn things. And you also want easy stuff. So you're not beating yourself up kind of around May, May, June. Yeah. I
1: mean, you know, there's always the traditional weight thing and all the kind of stuff and then the business goals. And, but I think, you know, this year for me, it's really just to take everything I've been given and, and to really just do the best and enjoy it, um, you know, and connect the dots with people and, kind of use everybody in my camp we all are so talented kind of like bring out the best in everybody so you're joining me from
0: nashville is it where you live at the moment
1: i am outside of nashville yes uh
0: and obviously i'm here in london but you used to live in england for a while didn't you you recorded your latest album in wales are there any british quirks that you took back to the u.s with you
1: Oh, many. I keep coming back and forth. So we're not done.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: I'm looking forward to actually being there in March and doing some Shadows acoustic premieres for the fans. So again, you know, just living in the present, that's what's in in the mix now. And I do consider England a second home to me. I have family there now and lots of friends and lots of good memories. And I hope to make many, many more uh, this year. Cool.
0: Okay, let's get down to business and enter the nostalgia zone. So you, of course, became internationally known at 15, almost 16, when I think We're Alone Now became a massive hit. But you had been plugging away and performing since you were nine years old singing country music. I mean, when I was nine, I was dancing around my bedroom making mixtapes, recording them off the radio. So I think that's a lot of work for a nine year old. Did it feel like work at the time?
1: It didn't. Uh, it's funny now because my niece and nephew, they're like eight. And I look at them and I think, Oh, I was already singing really. And professionally at nine. So it's made more of an impression on me now because I mean, of course, as a teenager or preteen, you think you're cool and you think you're (laughs) adults. So You know, for me, I just, I was going with the flow and I just loved what I was doing. And I never had to really be anything but a kid, really. Uh, But I was in an adult world and I loved singing. So that was, you know, no one forced me to do it. So it just, it felt normal for me to be kind of living that life already at nine years old.
0: For me, I think We're Alone Now is one of my anthems of the 80s. But you weren't that keen on the song when you first heard it, were you?
1: Well, I mean, I heard it the Tommy uh, James and Shondell's version and it was very children behave and I was like, "What is happening?" <laughs> <laughs> it's not what I expected by any means. And I had never heard it before. If I did, I didn't recognize it at the time. And cuz my mom knew the song and of course my dad and my family, you know, but I didn't. And I was only 14 when I recorded it. And then I came back and you know, my producer at the time was like, well, it's going to be different, so come back tomorrow and I'll have a track for you to pick up. And then I picked up the track and it was more like kind of a dance track. And at that time, I had been working on material that was country, kind of rock, kind of Sheryl Crow, if you will. So kind of a meeting of the minds with all the different influences by the time I was 14 uh, that I had experienced and you know, kind of were a part of me. So I was kind of hoping for something like that. And then we had this dance song and that was my biggest fear was that people wouldn't know that I could sing. I mean, to be honest with you, I ended up being kind of right because it's taken me a lot of years to show that I'm not just going to hit wonder and could have been, although number one as well, and this massive ballad for some reason didn't get as much uh, notoriety, if you will. I think the fans loved it, but I think that, you know, by then the critics, for some reason, wanted to say, "Well, she's manufactured in this one. Hmm. Like this is not the same vocalist." So that's really, for some reason, it just got thrown to the side that I was just the girl that sang. I think we're alone now, yeah. but there really was some more. So you know, full circle now. Though I love singing the song; it makes me happy. I'm so glad it worked out. You know, you never know. I, I mean, I obviously I was 14, so I'm glad that I took advice. Uh, but now if there's something happy
0: about that song,
1: it just makes people feel
0: good. it's being used, uh, over here in a campaign for McDonald's at the moment. So it's on TV, like a lot, a lot. I know, <laughs> which I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I can, I know I can pull it up online, but I want to see it over
1: there. So I'm waiting it out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then came the idea of sending you on a tour of shopping malls to promote the song, which was immortalized in your first music video. They look like fun, if slightly crazy times.
1: Um, you know, it really wasn't that crazy. I think we were just, again, riding the wave a little bit. It was happy times. It was a great problem to have that people were flooding to the malls to see me and the record was going up the charts and, you know, it was happening. Uh, the sad thing about it was that it was happening and we had to leave the malls. The malls were really intimate and very cool. But again, nice problem to have that you've got to go into the venues and. Uh, and it, you know it's just it's not that intimate after that, so it, it, you can't cry about it. I definitely was thrilled, but yeah, there was something so sort of magical about the mall tour. I think it's you know I also got to eat pizza every day, <laughs> go shopping, <laughs> and hang out, and talk to my you know,
0: so I have met lifelong friends there
1: uh, who are still my friends from the mall tour.
0: And of course, it set up the model for future promo tours for future stars. Britney Spears did a mall tour. I think like was it NSYNC or Backstreet Boys also did a, a mall tour. You were like the one that started it all off. I was the one that started it. I think I'm the most successful of the mall
1: tour, to be honest with you. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense because I was already doing clubs in New York, like I said, at 14 when I got signed. And then you promote the album as it's being promoted and you know coming out. I was doing clubs in New York and the music was great, but I was too young to hang out to meet the fans. So there was no connection. And we were seeing that right away. And uh, basically my album was going to get dropped. So it was the mall tour that saved me. I'm a mean shopaholic now (laughs) (laughs) from the mall tour. I do not want recovery. I am fine. But yeah, I mean, yes, it did. It really did. And I love food courts.
0: (laughs) Me too. Uh, And so the song blew off around the world and you became the youngest female artist in the US to have a number one debut album. I think you knocked George Michael from the top spot at the time. What was it like for you as a 16-year-old to suddenly have all this attention? Well, yeah,
1: it was amazing. It was Michael Jackson, actually. It was bad. And I knocked it off of number one and then had to meet him like two weeks later, which again, that's a nice problem to have. Awkward. And he was so cordial <laughs> and so wonderful. Because I, I didn't know. I was like, ah. But he was really, really cool and just encouraged me to have fun with it and have a good time and enjoy the fame and enjoy the success.
0: That meant a lot to me. Can you remember what you were doing the day you were told you had your first number one? I was washing dishes and doing my chores. Very glamorous. And my
1: mom was going to be getting <laughs> home from work. Yes. And my manager called. He said, he said, exactly that. What are you doing? I said, I'm washing dishes because you'll never have to wash dishes again. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. He goes, your record just went number one. You're a number one artist. I went, oh, that's really cool. Okay. I was like, that's a great, you know, and I knew kind of what that meant a little bit. And he kept talking. And I said, you know, I have to let you go because my mom's going to be home here pretty soon. And I do have to have these done. He goes, okay, you're totally missing it. I go, no, you're missing it. If I get busted, I can't do any of this. So number one, (laughs) my mom will shut that down. Okay, so I got to (laughs) go. Let's do this first. (laughs) And then he did call my mom and he told her and she laughed, you know. So
0: So that's how I spent it. Uh, You had a really wholesome, clean cut image. In the video for I Think We're Alone Now, you're wearing a really baggy sweater, high neck clothes, <laughs> not really sexualized at all. Was that your style anyway or did you get a say in your image?
1: No, that all just came by like, you know, random last minute thought kind of stuff. I mean, it really was like, oh, OK, we've got a phone call. Uh, Tiffany's needed on Top of the Pops. Oh, what is that? Well, that's this big, huge British show. And, you know, OK, well, somebody take her shopping. Because where I came from, you know, Norwalk, California, there was nothing for glamour. Like you couldn't find that kind of stuff, stage wear or anything. So I remember them taking me to the valley in in LA, outside of Hollywood. And it was really, what do you put on a 15-year-old? So it was jeans. And the long jumpers really became, because they were sweaters that I thought were cool. And it was my producer's wife that kind of like took me shopping really at first with her daughter. And we just picked things we kind of liked that we thought were kind of funky and cool. And I'll tell you, I thought it was cool because it was anything that I saw where I was living in Norwalk at all. There was nothing like that. You didn't have fuzzy sweaters and, you know, cool jean jackets with studs on them. We just didn't have it. <laughs> it was vans, telling you know, tennis shoes. And it was, Jeans and, and all of that, but it was pretty plain. We didn't have the bling yet, so you know, for me, I was like, yes, 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 I want all of these things. Uh, I, yet yeah, I can't really blame them all. <laughs> 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 I've had that. I think since I was a little girl, I've always loved like costumes and bling and just outrageous. I just always have. That's how I started, just singing at the dinner table with my family, and always coming to the dinner table with like my grandmother's shawls and bracelets and as long as i put the stuff back and didn't break anything i was allowed to glamorize and come to dinner and i had an older cousin who was so annoyed by it she was just like what is happening she's such a freak why are you doing (laughs) this why are you guys encouraging this
0: Uh, i think um i think at the time girls didn't really have a female role model who was younger than madonna who I think was 29 by that point. So I guess it was a no-brainer. He became so popular. But how much pressure did you feel to be a a good example, in quotes, for girls while trying to grow up and discover who you are as a young woman at the same time? I didn't really feel any kind of pressure until
1: maybe later on, you know, 17, 18, when you really are starting to have boyfriends or, you don't want to study. And by that time, I'd been on the road for a while. It was hard to like, it got hard to travel, be on the bus, do two shows a day, travel and do school work. So I think that's really where I've, I faltered more than anything. I felt a lot of, and I get straight A's. And I'm like, I don't get straight A's. <laughs> um, if you want the truth, you know, my drummer is my tutor. And, you know, he's a real teacher. But yeah, like he has to push me a lot because I'm tired. Mm. I just was tired. So we started doing things and working with the school that I could do things that would allow me to graduate legitimately um, and know things, of course, but maybe more hands on and pliable to my schedule. Um, And that became very cool because it was very interactive. Uh, geography is one of my favorite history is one of my favorite subjects now because I got to travel and learn about other countries um and so I all those early days I got to travel and take my band all with me to all these wonderful places and then I had to write a report about it
0: (laughs) and I loved it it must have been a bittersweet time because although you had all this massive success, you were also struggling with family issues behind the scenes and you'd applied to the courts to become an emancipated minor. What was it like to go through all that in the public glare?
1: Well, it was hard because, I mean, after a while it just, it became clear that, you know, not every story has to be told right then. And I think it kind of just dwindled down to maybe I became very popular and got too big for my britches, if you will. And then decided to sue my parents or be disgruntled with them. And, you know, that's not how the really backstory is. Um, I think for me, like most, a lot of kids out there worldwide, you, you struggle at home sometimes. It's not the best environment or there's, they're loving people, but they have their own problems. Parents don't always know what they're doing. And they're sometimes, you know, doing the best they can. I think most people are doing the best they can. And that was definitely where I was with my family. But yeah, there was turmoil. There was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of miscommunication. And then you add fame to that. It just kind of made it worse. Hmm. So being with my grandmother where I could tour and not have to be the mediator of my parents at that time, like I had been most of my years as a child, you know, it kind of was kind of hard to do that after a while. So it was time for me to kind of focus on what my commitments were because truthfully I had commitments. I had my label and my management and then you have your fans and then I want to do it. So I was, (laughs) you know, so being at my grandmother's, I mean, you know, the long and short of it was my mom was kind of dependent on me. Like for a long time, I was her strength. It took her a while to get her, her wings, if you will. Foundation and that came many years later, even after the emancipation, and all became healthy and wonderful. But that took my mom seeking a lot of rehabilitation and counseling and how to speak up for herself. And you know, the success story we finally did it as a family, so there's that, mm. uh, which is very good. You have to sometimes go through all of the crazy to get to the other side stick together, support each other. Sometimes you might not talk to each other, but there's love there. And if there really is love there, it'll sort itself out. You know, I do believe that.
0: I watched quite a few interviews with you from back in the day and you seemed really mature for your years, really, really poised. Nothing ruffled your feathers at all. Was that a product of just having to grow up? Quickly, or were you just really aware that you had to play the media game for for positive reviews and positive press? I think
1: that kind of goes back to um, being so in charge, if you will, or leadership, or being you know diplomatic in my household, even when I was a kid, because I had adults that were too fiery; they had a lot of passion. And no communication skills. And so I became the mediator for my family when I was like very young. And I think having somebody question me you know, and talking and having a valid conversation or being able to express myself, that kind of had to come very early for me to be able to uh, kind of go through, I guess, with some of the things I went through or to be able to communicate for my mom, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it that wasn't it became more of a a hardship when people were saying, "Well, now that you're successful, where do you see yourself in 10 years?" I loved that question when I was only like 15. I was like, "I don't know. <laughs> still here. What well, do you know something I don't know?" Uh, <laughs> <happening
0: here?" laughs> oh, yeah, I realized um I'm I'm guilty of this as a as a journalist that the last question you you ask in interviews typically ends up being so what's next for you that's like the lazy question that that journalists ask right. and as a journalist you kind of hope that maybe you might get a scoop of the next thing or some juicy tidbit and I never really saw it from the point of view of the artist's perspective where an actor if they're promoting a film it's like well what's next for you He's like well i'm still promoting this film and if they may not have the next gig yet or something it like puts them on the spot of like well i'm an unemployed actor at the moment or yeah. it's just this i never thought about that until somebody pointed it out to me who's who's a singer and i kind of thought oh god i'm so sorry i want to apologize on behalf of all journalists for ever <laughs> asking this question because i'd never realized how insensitive it was yeah i mean i just think that again that for me now I, I don't. It doesn't really bother
1: me at all. But you're right. You're like, well, I, I'm enjoying this actually for a minute. Yeah. But you know, yeah, I think it 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 always was more like, well, what are you going to do now to validate yourself more? I think for me at that time at 15, it was like, okay, well, you got by on us on this one, but what else do you have coming out of the the ranks? How are you you know how are you going to turn this one into? Because obviously you're manufactured or you know, there was a little bit of a hmm always. So it's taken me a long time to kind of get past that. I think even now I'm still maybe doing that with the new music. Sometimes people are writing great reviews and I'm like, see, I gotcha. <laughs> but I mean, I you know, I love it. I love when people are still discovering me. I think that's what it's it's about to be an artist constantly growing and changing. And so I'm I'm thrilled that. I had, I think, Rolona. I still have it going. It's finding happiness in its way throughout all kinds of different platforms, which is cool. And people are loving the new music. And here I am still rocking, like, you know, all kinds of different experiences from, you know, my cheesy sci fi movies to, <laughs> I'm doing more actually this year. So hold on, everybody.
0: <laughs> I, um, I spoke with Glenn Medeiros. On the podcast a few seasons ago and he told me quite unexpectedly that when he first rose to fame around the same time as you and he was 17, 18 at the time, that he was asked for sex on multiple occasions by music executives who promised in exchange to help him with his music career. And he said at the time it was really common and he saw it happen a lot with his friends in the industry. Was that something you witnessed at all in your your circles or experienced at the time as well?
1: No, I never had any of those experiences myself, which, you know, again, I I just, I, I didn't have it. So I was very lucky. Um, I think some of my friends now looking back and yes, we've discussed stuff. Yes, they did. But I didn't. I mean, I went straight in from being around my parents to being with a manager that was, I was pretty self-contained there. So, and he never stepped out of line at all, you know? So it was really more all about the music and being present for the music. And then as I I grew apart from my manager there and, and became an adult, obviously i became a mom right away mm. so it took me out of uh the music industry for a minute cuz i just wanted to enjoy that yeah so my son was born before i was 21 so you know again i went on a different journey but i do know that was a struggle with a lot of my friends as all of this has been coming to light so i've heard some stories it's it's really awful
0: mm hold that thought on your son we'll come to him in a second as well but um last question in the nostalgia zone when you look back on it now what is your what's your fondest memory
1: oh gosh uh,
0: <laughs> which which Oh, I know it's like choosing your favorite child isn't it <laughs> someone else yeah you that. <laughs> I really I don't know
1: I would say one of my, yeah it's hard I would say my one of my favorite memories is Hearing, I think we're alone now, on the radio for the very first time, my mom driving in our hometown. That was fun. (laughs) Because that's kind of when you feel like you really made it. Like I said, the mall tour, and then I was flying around doing a radio tour before the mall tour, which, you know, you go and do a radio show or you mingle with them. and, And then you get in the car after you leave and they're playing your song. Or you stay in the town and you're doing the show or whatever, and you hear them play your song. And that is meaningful. Don't get me wrong. It's fantastic. But when you're just randomly getting in the car, like to go to the grocery store in your Norwalk, California, and your song's rocking on the radio, that felt very special. So that was a really great day.
0: <laughs> okay, it's time to head out of the nostalgia zone and into what I like to call the latter zone, otherwise known as life after that thing I did. Hello, Genevieve here. Just wanted to quickly stop and say, if you're a regular listener, thank you for hitting that play button again. And if this is your first time, welcome. You have four whole seasons of nostalgia to catch up on. So if you haven't already, please do follow and subscribe. It's totally free. And if you'd like to support the show, stick around at the end to find out how. Now, back to the Latted Zone. By your third album in the early 90s, the music landscape had changed and pop had kind of become uncool at that point. As an artist, how do you deal with that as it's something you have no control over at all? I mean, you can try and adapt to the music, but then people and I guess the industry have you pegged as a certain thing so they have trouble seeing you any other way. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely had these
1: problems
0: I think for my sanity,
1: for, you know, the truth um, and for my own interest and, you know, again, for my fans who've been with me, I do things now that really just interest me that I feel are true growth. There was a time where I felt a lot of pressure to, you know, oh, that's the style. OK, that's what we're doing. You know, oh, that I everybody's wearing that. All right. Then that's what I mean. I'm from L.A. So, you know, that's kind of the M.O. a little bit, you know. Um, But after a while, I was like, why? I'm not even happy doing these things and I'm paying for it. And it's not even working because sometimes if it's not real, people know it eventually. And now I really just enjoy working on projects that I feel that are making me grow as an artist and better as an artist and a songwriter. Um And a great experience. So that's why, you know, we record in Wales at Rockfield and uh, Sunset Sound and great studios and, you know, kind of do like a little mini residency and, in, in you, know, you know, the town that we're at or and bring great musicians and all of the experiences that I'm having now. I think that's the most important. And through that, you find your own tribe. I, it sounds really hashtaggy, you know, find your own tribe. But I do believe in that saying. Um, you will find your people. Mm. And, and you know, and I'm very lucky because I have Team Tiff and all the people that have been with me for a long time and new fans, of course. But, you know, I kind of just found where I belonged and people were accepted, uh, accepting of the new music uh, and were interested to see me grow and why and as an artist, my stories that I write and, and my songs and understanding me because um, I'm not the only one that feels that way. So again, I've found my people. They
0: understand my music. So that's, that's kind of what I think it's all about, really. You uh, mentioned you had your son, Elijah, in 1992 when you were 21. And then you took the best part of a decade off to be a mum. And I guess by today's standards, 21 is relatively... Young and arguably an interesting life choice at that point in your career. Why did you decide to do that, and how difficult was it to get back into the business after? Uh, it wasn't really that difficult to get back in the business. It was again. I, I didn't say that I didn't want to.
1: I just wanted to pick and choose some things, of course. And it, you know, it was great years when Elijah got to travel with me. He was too young to remember, but we did do the whole the nanny goes out on the road thing, and I love it. That worked. So, I mean it just it really kind of just happened i wasn't really planning but you know we got married and and it was it was right for a long time you know and elijah is the best thing that's ever happened to me uh he's a structural engineer now and just off living his dreams and making me proud he's just a really great guy and i love that about him but as soon as i found out i was pregnant i was like okay all right I, i'm i always wanted kids and i always wanted to be a mom and I didn't freak out at all. It was totally open and accepted and and we just moved on from there and it was the best thing I've ever done in my life.
0: I find it really interesting that you released a critically acclaimed album in 2000, The Color of Silence, and Billboard even called it one of the best pop albums of the year. But the industry held you back and you struggled to get radio airplay or coverage because people still saw you as this teen star from the 80s and couldn't get past it.
1: I know. Frustrating, right? Uh, What can you do? I mean, this again, it's nice now, even with shadows now to see these reviews, to see people go, oh, ding, finally. It's like, okay. So we are making traction on this album and I couldn't be more thrilled. Mm -hmm. But yes, even with Color of Silence and even with the validation of Billboard and working with great people and again, writing on the album and showing more of a rock side and it's taken still this whole time for people to really get it to see me sing live to see my commitment I guess. I don't I don't really know. But I think you know the way that I look at it is well we're here now. <laughs> so <laughs> just keep going and uh you know and
0: I I think there's more to show. You posed for Playboy in 2002, which you looked amazing, by the way. Thank you. And I saw an interview with you on The View at the time where you said that you felt you had to do it to get people to listen to your music because you couldn't get played on the radio or booked on shows to promote your albums. And doing Playboy gave a strong enough talking point for people to have you on their shows. Well, yeah. It's an
1: interesting strategy that really worked. That was at a time that the color of silence was actually doing well. Open my eyes, was getting played on radio and people. But again, there was that, well, but this is Tiffany. Like, oh, but is the song doing well? Well, yeah. Do people like the song? Yeah. But it's Tiffany. It's like, well, okay, well, there's nothing really we can do about that. If the song is doing well, then just... Go for it. But there was always this backlash. And at that time, Playboy came to me and, and offered me to do the part of me, to be part of the Playboy family, be, and to do the magazine. And it was like, well, that will definitely take away the walls here. And And again, I was generating a lot of interest based on the traction of the record. But yet when I would call shows or not me, but publicists would call shows. Again, there wasn't really, you know, that people wanting to, like, have me on. And that's, I think, what I said on The View. Well, you know, we called and called and called, and you didn't pick up the phone. I do Playboy, and here I
0: am sitting on your couch. So, like...
1: It kind of worked out a little bit, you
0: know. <laughs> That's what I thought was brilliant about that VIEW interview was that you you made a point of telling them that they weren't interested in having you on until you did Playboy. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, it, it, it worked. Now I'm sitting here talking about my music,
0: exactly what I
1: wanted to talk about. I'm proud of doing Playboy. Was it a gimmick? No, it came to me. I didn't seek it, but it was at the right time. So it was a great opportunity. And I thought, you know what? Okay. I mean, I was in the best shape I've ever been in my life, and
0: I enjoyed all the glamour. Uh, (laughs) uh, It was a great experience for me. You've also dabbled in acting, as you mentioned before. You were the voice of Judy Jetson in the Jetsons movie. And you've also appeared in a few movies, including one with Debbie Gibson, Mega Python versus Gatoroid, where you have this brilliant five-minute catfight and you're slapping each other and wrestling and <laughs> pushing each other's face into cake. And um, and you and Debbie are actually really good friends now.
1: Well, we we've always kind of been friendly. We just didn't know each other. We never had the chance. There was no rivalry because we never really talked to each other. We were always so busy. And she's East Coast. I'm West Coast. No mutual friends at that time. Now, yeah, I mean, we've grown to be, you know, like sisters. We really defend each other. We love each other. And we're friends. And we're so different from each other. But that's part of, I think, the magic, really. And we share so many common fans that they don't have to choose
0: between us they can have a full. <laughs> so let's talk about your new music your 11th album shadows is out now which has a more rocky sound than people may expect from you i got a bit kind of stevie nicks joan jack Go's type vibe when i was listening to it and you mentioned that you did struggle a bit in your early days to be taken seriously as a songwriter which knocked your confidence a bit do you really still feel like you've got something to prove now no, not now, not so much really now. Now I just want to keep doing what I do. I,
1: I love it. I got a great rhythm and I enjoy touring and kind of what I do. So oh, not a whole lot of changes really that I would like to make, except continue to grow the touring aspect to other places in the world, uh, and grow new fans, of course, and go back to doing some sci-fi crazy. Uh, you know, <laughs> and just keep it all spinning all these different things that I've grown to love and now incorporating the cooking and, you know, my radical reds online boutique and the retreats the holistic retreats that I'm doing, just, you know, living my life. That's kind of what I want to keep going for proving myself. I don't really know if that's proving it to myself, maybe more than anything. Mm. Cause yeah, of course I have all these lists of things I want to do. I have the symptoms,
0: like I said, Okay, pick three.
2: Pick three for today. Don't drive yourself
1: crazy, girlfriend.
0: (laughs) People don't really listen to music in the same way as we used to. Uh, With Spotify and a shuffle button, people now pick and choose what they want and don't usually consume albums as a whole anymore in the way that used to back in the 80s right. and there are some artists that just release a bunch of singles and then package them up as a as an album after do you still think about crafting your albums in terms of having a beginning a middle and an end and it being an overall experience for the listener definitely definitely I'm, I mean I'm mean,
1: i just I love all types of music and you know I think it's cool all different kinds of artists and there's platforms for everybody but for me I love the experience of music. I love to listen to something from beginning to end and and I love to feel and connect with it. But yeah, you know, and I have the patience as a listener to, you know, listen to that second guitar solo or that long intro. But, you know, again, I think that was some things that we had that's always been ingrained in me with listening to great music where, you know, you had to have a little patience and there was some drama and there was to build and there's like, there was some brilliance there. Uh, Now we want to kind of get to the chorus and (laughs) get to the end. So I think there's room again for all of it. But for me, I really do enjoy hearing an artist and feeling that before I even get a chance to see them live or the video come out, hear them enjoying themselves on their record. Cause you can kind of tell, especially for me as an artist, sometimes it's just a, It's an imprint that we leave. I don't know how to say it. You know, even for me, there's been records I've done that have been rushed or I had to do or song. I'm not really crazy about. And you always want to give your best. But when you just don't really bond with something, you don't really bond with it. And then there's songs that you're given and you just you bond and you just wrap around it so much that it's just not just your voice. It really is a part of you. I wait for artists to do that on an album. I think Sam Smith really does that on a lot of his songs. You can just feel it—the you know, heartbreak. It just—I don't know how to explain it. You know, there's a difference in singing, and there's a difference in just giving that imprint. It's—it's it's beautiful.
0: So, for the people who are a slave to the shuffle button, <laughs> which track on Shadows should people start with first, and why? It depends what kind of mood you're in.
1: Um, you know, the Shadows album is The Light and the Dark. So we have the upbeat stuff, which is rocking, kind of go-go's, kind of punk, pop, a uh, little wink back to the 80s, but very modern yet in the same time with the production. So it's like my go-to, my sassy music, if you will. You're, you know, I'm going to tell them something because, you know, I've been through a lot of that and that's kind of where I put that <laughs> But then you have your ballads that are really, you know, heartfelt, that we are open-ended. We don't know what the outcome will be, but we're living out loud and we're giving our heart to heartbroken. Um, And I think some of the ballads, like Bed of Nails, probably would be one of my first songs to play people. Because it's just so... Um, again, it's one of those imprinted songs. I mean, that's a one take vocal at eleven o'clock at night when i was it was a scratch vocal. And I had hungry people. I had just made a roast dinner for the band, creating this beautiful magic in the kitchen, and it was quickly, let's just go in and do this vocal, get it down. at least we'll have it tonight, and we'll tack it in the morning. And it was my first time singing to all the band, singing all the lyrics, having it all down complete. And I thought, okay. And I I think, too, I was just tired as well, but nervous to sing it in front of people. And it's, if you hear the song, I mean, it just keeps going. It keeps building and building and building. It's quite a long song. Yeah. So I thought, where am I going to take this without being boring or overdone? Or you got to ride that wave. And they did such a great job, all the band and the production. Of course, Mark did a great job. So... I felt a little pressure, but at the same time, in a weird way, I was kind of tired and hungry and I had people waiting. So I knew I couldn't, all these boys waiting on you is not a good thing if they're hungry. (laughs) So I thought, okay, let's get this done. And um, I just sang and I just tried stuff and I just wrote on top of all of that beautiful music. And that's where it took me. So it really, even for me, I was like done singing and I looked at, you know, through the glass to the other room uh, where everybody was at the console and they were just like staring at me like, oh, okay. And I just was like, wow. Oh, okay. That was pretty good. Right. <laughs> that happened with me through my body. What happened? <laughs> so it was quite special, really. Yeah. That was a really special one.
0: We're talking a lot about food here. Let's let's talk about Let's feed with Tiffany, which you've mentioned a couple of times. It's your cooking club. Where does your love of food come from and why did you decide to set up the club? Well, I
1: come from a long line of amazing cooks, like everybody out there. And that was just something that was always happening in my home. The kitchen was the heart of the family. And some of my family came from Oklahoma, more southern roots, uh, lived in LA mostly towards East LA. So a lot of Mexican tacos, California, all of that. Um, and then my dad's side is Lebanese. So lots of food, 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 food. But then again, here I go traveling around the world at 15 and coming back to Norwalk, California, people going, what is Thailand? Like, what is India like? And I'm like, "Mm." well, these are the pictures and you try to explain it, but you don't really know how to explain it. And I found somehow communicating through food was more like, well, they had this really great shrimp dish and it tasted like this lemongrass, they call it lemongrass. So finding lemongrass in like Norwalk, California was funny, (laughs) you know, until like the international market started coming in. But at that time we didn't have that. So I would have to recreate this taste. And get as close as you. So I'd be in there like making it, you know. And as long as I cleaned it up, my grandmother, my mom was pretty cool with it. And I try to bring those flavors back to to show my family. So that's been going on literally since I started traveling, and now it's just that's pretty much the wheelhouse of my of my cooking. I I go around and I kind of just try to recreate these wonderful dishes and add my own flair because I, I like a lot of earthy things. So sometimes I go, Ooh, that's really fantastic. But now I know what's in it. I think it should have. <laughs> um, and there's, you know, there's a little tip takeover, my and I call it. And, and, you know, I add my little two cents in there, but I love cooking. It's, it really is my therapy. I enjoyed it. I started doing more of it when I was in COVID obviously and sharing it with fans and it became my, refuge. It became my way to keep sane, connected to people, feel connected to my family because they passed on and I was really missing them. And so I think we all were going through something, depression, anxiety, all of it. And that really helped me Mm. by sharing grandma's recipes. I felt like they were with me and then people we were connecting and it just was no pressure. You know, it was something that was a happy memory. Mm
0: in a weird time, making happy memories. So what do you get as a Let's Be With Tiffany club member?
1: You get a discount on my merchandise. You get to know all things in TIFF world beforehand, uh, in the cooking world. Um, and, of course, you get free things like the cookbook that's coming out that will be gifted to you. Um, and the fans have been so receptive to it. And we're having a good time. The cooking club is growing So now we get to go on our adventures now that we're back on tour. Uh, So I've got lots of experiences planned for, for, and I'm bringing it to the UK. So I'll be very excited to share all of those, you know, wonderful cooking adventures over there. We'll be here. We'll be there. (laughs) We'll be there cooking
0: with you. (laughs) We'll be here. We'll be there. We'll be
1: everywhere. And I love it. Yes. It's time. It really is. That's going to be strategic. And, you know, I want to get into some kitchens over there
0: and, and just have a really great fan experience. You should totally do like our celebrity master chef or celebrity Great British Bake Off or something. You should totally get onto one of those shows.
1: I know. <laughs> I definitely. I those shows. I would love to do it. Don't get me wrong, but they are so stressful. Woo! <laughs> I did. I did. A- Rachel Ray versus Guy Fieri uh, over here, and I was one of the finalists, actually. But I have to tell you, it was hard. Um, you know, and it's stressful because it's food and it's timing and it's like something's boiling. And you're like, quick, I need that thing that I told you I needed because <laughs> you're relying on production as well. And different cameras are floating about it. And, and as you're plating something or something's dripping or something's not right, they're, of course, in your face talking to you in that in that moment to totally stress you out. They're going, so tell me what's happening. Why is your dish collapsing? It's because you are my way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's why.
1: <laughs> I cannot talk. I used to, used to get mad at me because I shut down when I'm really stressed. I actually get really quiet and like, I'm really focused and I'm very, sh- like, not sure mean, but I'm very like direct. This has to happen. I'm like, I just, I go into a zone. Okay, fine. Handle it you know and like that's kind of how I became that's perfect for a chef though I yeah that's how I became as a cook when they were doing that I was like the pressure and I was like they're like wanting all this chatter and I'm like "Mm, mm, no no I keep shaking my head they're like no you don't get it this is reality TV it's not no
2: it's shine you have to do so you have to talk
1: (laughs) (laughs) so they kept saying Tiffany you have to be more animated for the camera and talk to the camera I was like yeah I know but like everything is like I'm burning my dish that's not and they're like "Uh uh-huh that'd be great tv I'm like no (laughs) you want me to fail (laughs) either way you win this is not a win for me so yeah you have to um you have to just you know balance yourself I guess
0: You've um, you've said that being on the road has affected your health a bit and brought a lot of stresses to your life and you had a bit of a health scare would you mind sharing a bit more about that and how that's connected with your other project Zen my friend Well definitely um yeah
1: I mean I think again before covid I was running and I was doing a lot and and that was okay but you know it's always high stress on the road and out of the norm and eating not the normal and sleeping, not the normal and all of that. But then when COVID happened, I did get COVID and I got long COVID, which has affected different things. And we're still learning more about that. You know, your energy, the aches and pains, uh, digestive, all of it. And as I'm learning more, I'm actually in a better position than a lot of my doctors, other patients. So I feel quite, you know, like, okay, I can handle this. I just need more and more and more time to rest really. Because it's almost like chronic fatigue syndrome, and where again this is going, and what we're just day by day. But I have been resting. I do feel better. I'm very grateful for this time off. But it really did have an impression on me, and it should on all of us. Really, that you know, mental health, our health, immunity, stressors—they are all to be taken seriously. And and I pride myself on I can handle it. And I I will give it a good go, then I still probably will. But I know now so important about balance. And it's just, you know, when this started happening, I couldn't ignore that around me, once again, organically, this community of people started reaching out, talking about health and talking about immunity and talking about Chinese medicine, which I've always loved and always been a fan of and always followed since the early 80s, and my experiences over in Japan. So I've always been kind of a more of a natural path if I could. So these are new practices for me, but they're more in-depth practices now. I'm really seeking and learning. And so I've got a company now called let Zen My Friend, which is a community on Instagram. So my page there that is just bringing people of like mind. And knowledge about Chinese medicine, alternative medicine, uh, stress, deep breathing, Reiki, meditation, what we're putting in our bodies from food. So it's just, it's really not like you have to sign up to change your life, but apply certain things that work for you that you may have not have thought about from reflexology to again, literally deep breathing. Um, meditation has changed my life so much from even the choices that I make sometimes in reacting to things, just literally, sometimes I have to go, excuse me, I'm going to go to the glue, you know, and I walk over there and I know it's a place that nobody really will bother you and drag you out of for the most part. (laughs) And I'll, and I'll have my 10 minutes of deep breathing if I need to and go, do I really want to do this? I'm feeling pressured. About making decisions, I don't want to let anybody down. But when you say yes to things, it really is a commitment, and then you feel more stressed because you really didn't want to do it. I mean, all the things that we do as people—you know what I'm saying—and some things we have to do, things we don't like. So just getting your head around it, and rather it being a negative all the time, trying to work from some positive or understanding there's a there's a limit here. I'm going to commit to this for so long, and then I'm going to release it and let it go. It was something I had to do business wise or a season. And then that's it. But I'm going to look forward to that. And then, you know, it's just how we change the outlook of how we look because that was another thing for me as I started to feel terrible, I really was getting depressed. And then that just kind of spiraled. I felt like my immunity to collapse a little bit more. Last question. What's for dinner tonight? What is for dinner tonight? Tonight? (laughs) Uh, We have salmon, actually, grilled salmon. And uh, I'm in the middle of doing a lot. Again, there's that holistic immunity, living, you know, better, making better choices. So I've been kind of limiting my sugars, limiting my carbs, I've been losing weight, feeling really good, um, learning about inflammation um, and how that affects the body. So just processed foods, which is really hard because I'm on the road a lot. And and don't get me wrong, I'm grateful. If I'm hungry, you know, there it is. And you can only get, then I'm, I'm going to eat it. You know, I'm, I'm grateful. But at the same time, when you don't realize it, because that's what you're building up in your body from making certain choices, it's just more informative. So fish and salmon, and for me, more veg. Uh, I love cauliflower. I'm on a cauliflower craze right now, just everybody, FYI. <laughs> um, and you'll see that a lot on Let's like, Food with Tiffany on Instagram. I am using so much substitute for cauliflower as potato, and it actually works. I made a mean shepherd's pie. With cauliflower? With cauliflower, yes, ma'am. And it rocks, I have to say.
0: Is it just like mashed, like completely smashed? Just mashed, yeah. I put a little butter. Do you boil it within an inch of its life? I boil it and then I put butter and a little bit of olive oil and
1: salt and pepper and mash it, mash it. You can put cream if you want a little bit, um, like a little thicker cream if you want. I don't. I prefer not a lot of dairy for myself. So, but then I put cheese. So there is that dairy factor. So yes, I'm experimenting with all things cauliflower (laughs) right now, but. My boyfriend's British, and you know he, I, you know, I had to like be have that that check, that stamp of approval, and uh, he's committed to keto as well, like me. So he was like, "But I want shepherd's pie," and I'm like, "Oh, great, thanks a lot." Okay, start at the top, why don't you? <laughs> but I, I've made two passes at it, but you know, but they both were equally good, and yeah, the cauliflower mash held up. This is exciting.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna go out right now and get some cauliflower and make my own cauliflower
1: mash. Yes, I <laughs> highly recommend it. It tastes so
0: good. And I mean,
1: of course, when you put pisto over it, then hello. It <laughs> seals the deal now,
0: doesn't it? <laughs> That's gravy for anyone that doesn't live in England's pisto gravy. Which <laughs> you should know about anyway. <laughs> Tiffany, it's been so lovely speaking with you today. Thanks so much and best of luck with Shadows. Oh, thank you. Take care. Thank you for a great interview, by the way. big thanks again to Tiffany for joining me her latest album Shadows is out now do go and have a listen and as he said there's lots of ways you can be part of Tiffany's world you'll find all the information about her cookery club cookbook and fashion boutique Radical Reds on her website tiffanytunes.com and you'll also find all the info on upcoming tour dates there too hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of celebrity catch up as i always say i know there's lots of podcasts to choose from so thank you so much for choosing this one if you enjoyed the show and would like to support it please visit celebritycatchup.com where you can donate and as ever do please tell a friend or share it on social media so others can discover and listen too hit that subscribe or follow button it's totally free leave a nice review because people are more likely to listen if somebody else says it's worth it and do say hello and follow me on social media just search for celebrity catch up and you'll find me. Until next time, thanks for listening.